With the playoff race heating up, we'll attempt to untangle the playoff web. Welcome to the Challenge Flag Podcast, where we put your fantasy season under review. And y'all, this week is Thanksgiving week. We've got a ton of great games coming on Thursday. But with that, Blake and I will only be recording one single episode this week, just by nature of a short timeline and turnaround. So we will be sticking with purely a BFL-focused podcast, especially because this is a really big week for our league and we've got a lot of playoff implications to talk about today and then we also have the trade deadline so lots going on we'll be looking at some deadline deals that have already gone through and of course encouraging more deals to be to be discussed in the coming days here but with that I'm gonna go ahead and hand things off to my co-host Blake Watson to give us a quick little update yeah so quick update on the trade deadline This is not the absolute last second to get trades through, but next week when the Thursday night game kicks off, the trade deadline will close, meaning no more trades. Your roster is stuck the way that it is with the exception of free agency and the waiver wire. Of course, with Latavius Murray being on the waiver wire and a valuable add this week, I don't really see the waiver wire providing much value for your team going into the playoffs. Of course, I could be wrong. So if you're looking to make a big roster shakeup and a big playoff push, then I recommend you start getting active in the trade market immediately. That being said, we actually have some trades from this week that we need to take some time to discuss here before we jump into playoff scenarios. The first one is a trade that happened between myself and Jordan Robbins. So the trade looks a little bit like this. My team received C.D. Lamb and Alan Lazard, and I traded away Joe Mixon and George Pickens to Jordan. RJ, as an outsider in this trade, I think it's probably best to get your opinion as opposed to mine. We can talk through my strategy maybe after you provide your insight, but what was your reaction to seeing this trade come through? I wasn't super surprised to see this one. I know, Blake, you had been looking for that upper echelon wide receiver for a while and as a co- or a previous owner of Joe Mixon I just absolutely loathe that he had that massive game but outside of that he's been kind of pedestrian and in just about every other matchup besides maybe one so I, I do understand the the desire to move him now if we look at the poll that we sent out most people are taking Jordan's side here but I'm not really sure if I'd necessarily agree with that. Just as someone, again, who owned Joe Mixon, I shopped Joe Mixon a lot. I thought he was a really good asset to trade. And I was specifically looking for wide receivers when I did so. And I had a really, really hard time getting anyone to bite on a deal that wouldn't involve him. So when we look at someone like C.D. Lamb, C.D. Lamb may not scream to you as being an elite asset at this point, but he is the wide receiver seven right now in fantasy. So him and Joe are pretty close in an overall perspective and PPR CD is number 29 overall. And I believe Mixon is number 20. So only removed nine spots there. So that's just a handful of points. Mixon's of course, RB seven on the year, but Alan Lazard offers a little bit of depth at the receiver spot for you compared to George Pickens, who has played well in recent weeks, but is a little bit on the younger side there. 
So overall, I, I don't think this is egregiously in favor of Jordan versus Blake. I think maybe Jordan does have the better overall side, but from Blake's perspective, having Austin Eckler, the number one running back in PPR, and then having a really solid RB2 in Damian Pierce, I think this is a deal you absolutely can't afford to make to go get yourself a little bit more upside at the receiver position. So I think this may have hurt your depth a little bit, but I think it hurt overall raised the upside and the ceiling of your starting lineup. I put that poll out and was looking at the results this morning, and I have to be honest with you, I was not at all surprised to see that Jordan was on the winning side of the poll. Fantasy running backs are typically valued much higher than fantasy receivers, and outside of CeeDee Lamb's 38-point game, it's not like he's been an absolute world beater at the receiver position. But I kind of knew going into this trade that I was going to be sacrificing some kind of value unless I was able to go get like a Tyree Kill or Devontae Adams or someone like that. But that's kind of the name of the game for where my team is at currently. Like you mentioned, I have Austin Eckler, I have Damian Pierce, I have Miles Sanders on my bench, Deontay Foreman. So when it comes to the running back position, I can only start four every week at the absolute max, and most likely I'm probably only starting three. But I have to start two wide receivers And while the Dallas receivers can be a little bit up and down, I think CeeDee Lamb provides a much higher floor than my other wide receiver two options, which are current or which were Michael Pittman and Cortland Sutton. So I had no problem going and sacrificing that running back depth, I guess, or the the firepower that Joe Mixon might provide. Like you said, outside of his 55-point week, I've been a little bit disappointed by his output. Of course, that could change, and I could look very dumb for making this trade, but overall, it's a trade where I'm comfortable sacrificing a little bit of value. Now, something that you mentioned was George Pickens being young could be a problem. I think the biggest problem that I had with George Pickens and the reason I was so fine with moving on him is that his target share has not been as high as people seem to think, and I don't know if you saw this stat, but With his targets coming from Kenny Pickett, did you know that a Pittsburgh pass attempt is worth one-third the value of a pass attempt from Patrick Mahomes in fantasy this year? Meaning meaning for every one pass that Patrick Mahomes makes, Kenny Pickett would have to make three to four passes to equal the same kind of fantasy output. I mean, I don't know who spends the time tracking that kind of information, but it seems kind of crazy to me. So pair that with the fact that his targets over the last four games have been six, three, four, and six. I really didn't mind moving from Pickens to Lazard. I think that Jordan understood the the hit and value that I was taking going from a top 10 fantasy running back to a receiver instead. And so he was offering to make the move for Lazard's Pickens. That was unprompted, I might add. So I, I do appreciate that on Jordan's end. Made it easier to get the trade to go through. Yeah. And I just want to chime in here on Lazard because I think a lot of people have a negative connotation of this guy because he had been around in Green Bay for a long time and played second fiddle to Devontae Adams. But overall this year, like his target share has been really, really nice. He plays a super high snap count. Besides a couple of games, like the Chicago game, he's coming off injury. He got three targets there. And he started ramping into it. And then we saw really steady numbers of like eight targets, eight targets, nine targets, seven targets, 10 targets. 
He got blanketed by Trayvon Diggs against Dallas, so he got only targeted four times in that one, and obviously that was the Christian Watson game. But this past week, he only scored 10.7 fantasy points, but got 11 targets on that. So love the target share that you're getting with Lazard. I think he's a good player, and I think he's a very much a startable fantasy asset. Maybe not this week against Philadelphia, but... I just didn't see a scenario where you would be rolling out George Pickens anytime soon. I think you could justify putting Lazard in your lineup any day of the week. I'd agree. We'll jump into the second trade, which actually involved yourself and, again, one Mr. Jordan Robbins, who Jordan's active every year when it comes to trading, which I I appreciate. I enjoy when people are always working to make moves to their team. But two trades within an hour span i mean jordan must be working on something big you know stay tuned i guess we'll have to see what he does for his playoff push but this trade involved you sending danny dimes one mr daniel jones to jordan's roster and in return you received kirk cousins and josh palmer wide receiver for the los angeles chargers looking at the poll we put out it seems that there was one vote in favor of jordan's side of this deal There was four votes in favor of your side of this deal and one vote that called this deal a push. So I'll give my perspective on it first and then I'll let you break it down as someone that kind of objectively got to view this trade. I think overall I would consider this a win for you. Daniel Jones does have the ability to provide outrageous super flex value we've seen him make an impact with his legs overall the giants have not been as bad as we thought that they would be and so i think that daniel jones probably looks a little bit better this year than he has in years past just doing a brief rundown of his last four fantasy games he had 29 points 9 points 18 points and about 25 fantasy points so as you can see his fantasy outputs pretty volatile but in the weeks where he does provide you with a good fantasy performance it is potentially week winning you know 24 point 29 point performances those are no small feat and they go really really far especially when you consider the playoffs coming up any quarterback can bust including Kirk Cousins who let's go through his last four games 23 points 16 points 15 points and two points in fantasy output so of course Kirk Cousins has a little bit more volatility as well with a little bit of a lower ceiling I understand where Jordan's coming from where I think the value really comes into play for you is that Josh Palmer is currently the replacement for Mike Williams who is on your bench right now due to injury Mike Williams potentially might not play for another week or two He just returned from injury this past week against Kansas City and immediately landed himself back in the blue medical tent. So for you, I know wide receiver has been a point of concern all season, given the health status of Mike Williams and Jerry Judy. This really provides you a massive safety net for Mike Williams being out because Josh Palmer is the direct replacement. Of course, there are other guys in Los Angeles who will get plugged in into that wide receiver two role every now and then. But I think we've seen over the past few weeks, the lion's share of the work is going to go Josh Palmer. I think both sides in this trade really benefit. I think Jordan gets more of the upside that he was looking for, where you get a 
very respectable Superflex plugin in Kirk Cousins, and you have a solution to the problem that's been plaguing your team all season with Josh Palmer. Yeah, this one was uh, not a, a trade I had been planning to make. Jordan had approached me about a different deal that just didn't work out for me and didn't really make sense for the, my roster construction, but... I think he was looking to do a two for one and I was willing to accept a two for one with, with Danny Dimes. And my main motivation here was that it, the we're going to get into this, but your boy's not dead in the playoff race. And the next few weeks are pivotal to me. So when I look at like this week, well, Daniel Jones plays the Dallas Cowboys this week. You mentioned Kirk Cousins only having 2.2 fantasy points last week. Well, who did he play? Of course he played the Dallas Cowboys and Danny Dimes, last time he played the boys, he only put out 13.74 points, which is not bad. If I was starting Daniel Jones that week, that's probably what I would expect him to be scoring. But overall, was looking for a little bit more upside there. And then Kirk's got some other really good matchups down the schedule. He plays New England this week, whose defense is not the same as it used to be. New York Jets the week after, and he gets an amazing matchup against Detroit in week 14. And then he'll be going to Indy and New York for very pivotal matchups that could be playoff matchups there finally a week 17 match against green bay there's a a decent amount there where i feel like i like his schedule down the road better than i like daniel jones going up against dallas like i mentioned he's got washington the week after which is good but then he gets philadelphia which is a really tough one washington again which we i mean you never really know with interdivisional games how those are going to play out they could be a lot closer Um, and then he has minnesota indy to, to kind of wrap things up. So I, I prefer Kirk's schedule there a little bit more. And then Josh Palmer, I don't really know what to think of this guy because it seems like his breakout comes or his best games come when, when Keenan Allen and Mike Williams are on the field. So I'm, I'm really interested to see how that goes because, I mean, getting 10 targets when Keenan Allen's on the field is, is a big deal. And they also didn't have Gerald Everett that game. So I'm curious and I want to keep watching this. If he ends up being a startable fantasy asset, even with Mike Williams out there, then this is a huge win on my part. But I, I don't think Jordan made this trade to win. I think he was, like I said, trying to do a two for one and he got a little bit more upside as you mentioned. So overall, I think in my opinion, I think I go with the, the poll here that the win is probably on my part. And I think Jordan knew that when he made the trade, but doesn't matter because I think it accomplished what Jordan wanted to accomplish. And that's what we have to kind of view this under the lens of. And of course, as always, with all trades, only time will really tell who the winner and the loser of each trade are going to be. But it's interesting you mentioned that Jordan went into this trade potentially knowing that he was going to be on the losing end of this trade in in the public perception. And I mentioned I went into my deal with Jordan knowing that I was potentially going to be on the losing end of my trade as well as I approached Jordan with my running backs for C.D. Lamb. This is two prime examples of, in my opinion, what you need to do to gear up for the playoffs. I knew I had a weakness. Jordan knows he needs more upside on his team. So you see two teams willing to sacrifice some value for the sake of roster construction. Is this something you think we'll see more of as the trade deadline approaches, or do you think people are still way more concerned with the public perception of winning or losing a trade up front? I think if you're smart, you you think about it the first way, right? I think as we approach a fantasy season, right, what do we talk about a lot? It's depth. It's depth. You're going to have bye weeks. You're going to have injuries. And you need to be able to cover those holes. And the same can be said about the playoffs, but 
it's not quite as much because when it comes to playoffs, it's an even slate. You just got to win one game to keep going. So you need to have the strongest starting lineup that you possibly can. So in that sense, it's it makes sense to take a L on a trade if you're giving up bench depth, like Jordan tossing in Josh Palmer. Like that isn't a starting asset for him. If he thinks it raises the ceiling of his starting lineup, it's worth it because when it comes down to crunch time, it doesn't matter who has the better bench players. It's who rolled out the best starting lineup and who won that week, and the other guy goes home. So that's the, the lens you have to view this through. Speaking of the playoff races, I don't think we've ever had a tighter playoff race going into the last three weeks of the season. And as skeptical as I was about this coming into the season, I think a large part of that has to do with the new playoff format that we have. So I'll run really quickly through the league standings in order, and then I will go through the divisional standings for each respective division. So coming in at the top spot, we have Blake Fuller with a 9-2 overall record, followed by Jordan Robbins at 8-3, Drew Kulas 7-4, Blake Watson 7-4. As of right now, those would be your top four teams when slotting for the playoffs, which means automatic bids, with the bye weeks going to Fuller and Jordan at this point. The rest of the league standings look like Matthew Beischer coming in at the 5 spot with a 6-5 and five record, Michael Costa with a 6-5 and five record, Christian Risk with a 5-6 and six record, Ethan Woods 3-8, and eight, RJ Beecher 2-9, and nine, and Raj Landry also 2-9. and nine. So those are your top 10 in order. Now going through each division, things look much different than if you were to look at the overall standings picture. So I will just be listing off the divisional records for each of these teams. In the SEC West, you have Jordan Robbins still in the top spot, the driver's seat with a 4-2 record, Drew Kulas also a 4-2 record. Those two teams will play each other this coming week. Blake Watson, 3-3 divisional record. RJ, yourself, you have a 2-3 divisional record, and Raj Landry with a 1-4 divisional record. In the Mountain West West, you have Blake Fuller, of course, in the driver's seat with a 5-1 and one record. Matthew Beischer essentially tied with him for all intents and purposes with a 4-1 and one record, so both of them only having one divisional loss. And then, as you'll see, the bottom half of that division when it comes to divisional records, much different. Michael Costa, even though he has a strong overall record, his divisional record is 2-3. and three. Christian Risk, 2-4. and four. And Ethan Woods, 1-5. and five. Remember, all tiebreakers in this format will be head-to-head, and then it will go to points scored. So let's run through points scored real quick. Topping the league, Matthew Beischer with 1,604. Blake Fuller with 1,584. Michael Costa, 1,581. Then a significant gap, Blake Watson, 1,487. Jordan Robbins, 1,469. Drew Kulas, 1,468. Ethan Woods, 1,293. This is the start of the next gap. Raj Landry, 1,266. RJ Beecher, 1,210. And Christian Risk, rounding out the league with 1,192 fantasy points. So, obviously, listening to this, there's... It's very hard to take much away without seeing the standings right in front of you. So for those of you who are wondering, well, what does this mean for me? Am I eliminated? Have I clinched? 
we'll go with clinch first. Only one team's clinched so far, and that's Blake Fuller. So Blake Fuller, even though he lost this last week, has a 9-2 and record and has barely eked out a clinching scenario at this point in the season. It's his 5-1 and divisional record that really gives it to him. So he could still lose out, meaning that Matthew Beischer would likely win his division and the SEC West top three teams would likely win their playoff spots. So Beischer, Robbins, Kulas, and Watson could round up the top four, and Fuller could still make it in a wild card spot because his divisional record is so much better than Michael's that he and he has the head-to-head tiebreaker that he would still make it into the playoffs at the wild card spot. So congratulations, Blake Fuller. You are the first team to clinch the playoffs this year. Now, as for who's eliminated, I'm sure you guys could list some possible teams that are prime candidates for elimination. RJ at 2-9, and nine, Raj at 2-9, and nine, and Woods at 3-8. and eight. However, probably much to your surprise and your chagrin, depending on what team you are, none of those teams are eliminated thanks to the new format that we have in the BFL, meaning that each team is still playing for a playoff berth in Week 12. So we'll go through and take a look at a couple of these. First is Ethan Woods, 3-8, and 1-5 division record. He could still make the playoffs, and that's thanks in large part to Michael Costa's poor division record. So if Blake Fuller and Matthew Beischer were both to be part of the top four teams in the automatic clinching scenario, then the team with the best divisional record in the Mountain West West would get the wild card spot. Ethan Woods currently has a 1 and 5 divisional record. Christian Risk has a 2 and 4 division record and Michael Costa has a 2 and 3 division record. If Woods were to win out in the remaining two division games he has and Michael Costa and Chris Risk were each to drop one or two divisional games, then there's a very good chance that Ethan Woods could still make the playoffs. Same situation for RJ and Raj. Uh A little bit different because they have a very big game this week coming up against each other. But look at Raj with a 1-4 division record. He could still make it into the playoffs if RJ were to lose the head-to-head to him this week. And myself, if I were to lose out for the rest of the season, including a game against Raj, Raj would have a better divisional record than both RJ and myself and would take the wild card spot based off division record for the SEC West. So I think it's pretty crazy that at this point in the season, there is not a team eliminated. Normally at this point, there are teams that have either given up, they have stopped checking their rosters, or they're simply just looking and praying that they don't get the last place punishment. How do you feel about the new roster construction and the effect it's had on the playoff race? Well, obviously, I have to say I, I love it because, you know, this season looked like a lost cause for me from like week four, probably even sooner than that. But to to I woke up, I think it was Monday morning and had this realization. I like went back and found the PowerPoint that you created, Blake, and it was I mean, I was really, really happy. I like looked at the rules. and I was like, ah, if the season ended today, I would be in the playoffs. And that is just absolutely wild sitting here with a two and nine record to be in that situation. And it really makes me happy to know that the time that I've invested in this league, even though I've had a bad record, the waiver claims I've made, the positions I've tried to put myself in to make myself successful could 
all be for more than just trying not to get last place, right? It is possible for me to get a wild card spot at this point and then have a chance. And that's all you really need. Now, on the, the flip side of things, obviously, if, if you know, Blake and I were talking about the situation earlier, if I got a wild card spot, Blake is the fourth seed, then him and I would be playing first round. And in the, the chance that I knock him off, he's probably going to be a little frustrated with the things because he's going to be probably at that point eight and four or, or eight and six, whatever it is, or nine and five and be like, why the heck am I going to lose and be knocked out of the playoffs by a guy who won three games this season? And I do truthfully understand that. And I'm sure if we stick with this format, I will be in that position at some point in the coming future. But for the, the little guy, the guy that has the bad record, it makes things a lot more fun. And that was the point of this was to keep people invested, to keep people checking their lineup, setting their lineup, making waiver claims, all of that. That was the point of this. So in my mind, it's been effective. I don't know if everyone's going to agree with that. We'll naturally see how it plays out. But overall, I love it. And hopefully there are some other guys that are really enjoying the chaos that this is causing. One thing to really keen in on, and one of the reasons that we really implemented this was to promote rivalries. The dynamic between division mates is very different depending on which division you're looking at right now. So in most cases, you are rooting pretty heavily against your division mates. For example, RJ, you and Raj play a game this week where the winner will have the better divisional record and the tiebreaker over the other going forward for the rest of the season, which will be a really, really big deal if the top three SEC West teams can hold on to three of the four top overall playoff seeds, meaning one of you guys will get in. Obviously, you are rooting very, very heavily for each other. Baisher and Costa are in a very similar boat where they play a really big game coming up, not necessarily this week. I believe it's in week 13. They'll be playing against each other for potentially the wild card spot in their respective division or for one of the top four playoff spots overall depending on what plays out in the sec west but one thing we were talking about is if you're in your position exactly where you're banking on wild card spots and wild card spots only and there are three teams ahead of you in the sec west well if you were to beat raj have the wild card spot for the sec west currently but one of those top three teams in the SEC West were to fall out the top four overall for the professional football league, you'd likely be left out in the cold when it comes to the playoffs. So while you root very heavily against your division mates in the same sense, you're rooting very heavily for them. Because as much as you might not like Jordan or myself winning games, you know, given the rivalry between the three of us, if we don't win our games moving forward, you could be in a lot of trouble because if Baisher or Costa jumps us in overall standings, well, only one of myself and you or Drew and you or Jordan and you are going to get into the playoffs, and it'll solely be based off division record. So how does that dynamic make you feel where you're actually rooting for me and Jordan going forward? Yeah, this one, there's a lot to get that goes into it because like you're three and three, I'm two and three when it comes to our divisional records. So in a sense... If, if we're talking about you and me, because you're the closest when it comes to divisional record, Jordan and Drew are both four and two. So let's say that you do fall out of the top spot, right? 
well, in that sense, I want to win out because I want to have a better divisional record for you and sneak into that wildcard spot, which is a little bit more far-fetched, right? In my mind, the easiest path to the playoffs is to beat Raj this week, take the divisional record on him, and then get, get you, Drew, and Jordan to the playoffs. And I play you and Jordan in the last two weeks of the season. So you can see the math. Like At that point, I'm like, well, I want to lose those games. I want to put together the worst team that I possibly can and drop those games because I want y'all to get into the playoffs and keep rolling that way. Now, the reason I we talk about this is because like that is a strategy. And like, say what you want. I haven't talked with Jordan about this at all, but I think like, Reasonably speaking, I don't think it's collusion to say, like, I could just sit my, my team because I need you to win. And maybe we need to have conversations about that. That's not the case. But I'm not doing that for you. I'm doing that for me. And if I did it against you, I'd do it against Jordan, too. Now, the point of this is that there's a lot of strategy that is coming in right now. And if you haven't taken a look at your playoff seating about the potential scenarios or anything like that, you really should because... You might figure out there's a little bit more that goes into this. I need this person to win. I need this person to lose. Now, we're not obviously saying go collude with people. Don't go, hey, you. I need to get into the playoffs. Can you drop this matchup? That's not the case. Do what's best for you, but you need to understand the situations that you're in. And so if you need to go make a trade this week because this week is a must win for your playoff scenarios, go do it. Understand the situation that you're in. And if this is a pivotal matchup, like we've got between, is it, is it Michael and Matt? Is that right? That are playing? That That's, that's next, next week. week. Next so week. maybe if you are, are Michael and Matt, you need to go see who's got an amazing matchup next week, because that is a must win game for me. And if it's a player that's not on your roster right now, and you need to go make a deal, you need to go swing a big trade because one of your studs has a bad week next week. Like that's a strategy you need to understand because this is the trade deadline week, and if you lose next week, that could be your season. That very well could knock you out of the playoffs. That could knock you out of the wild card. It may not be a clincher, but things might be a lot clearer if you can take that pivotal matchup. Same thing with Braj and I. Same thing with you this week against Chris. You've got a really big one coming up that's really pivotal for your playoff chances. So you just really need to have a good understanding of the situation you're in, the situation the league mates are in, and that way you can have a really good understanding of what you need to do what playoff matchups you need to avoid, what what weeks you need to really be looking at in terms of what your players are doing to, to really give yourself the best chance of, of taking home the trophy. And just to clarify the difference between strategy and collusion, let, let's take a second to talk about this because I believe it is very important. If you have the ability to start an active roster and start active players, you need to be starting those players. So... It doesn't matter if it's the worst players on your team or the best players on your team. If you have six guys on your bench who are active and you have four guys in your starting lineup who are not playing or you just have empty slots in your starting lineup, that's one thing. Now, if you're putting out the worst lineup you have for your own sake, that is strategy. Another good example you mentioned you against Jordan next week. You need Jordan to get into the playoffs. You have no intention on starting your best lineup if that's the case, for your own sake. This week, we have Beischer against Fuller. Fuller has clinched his division. He has no interest in winning this game, and nothing good happens for him, really, if he loses this game. 
Now, Byshire desperately needs to win this game, given the current playoff situation in the Mountain West West. He cannot go to Fuller and be like, hey, man, there is no negative consequences for you if you drop this game. Fuller might be playing for a bye week. You know, you can talk about how that's high stakes versus low stakes, whatever you want to talk about. Byshire is playing to get in the playoffs, okay? He is playing for his playoff life. He can't go to Fuller and be like, hey, man, you have very little to lose. I need to win this game. Start your worst lineup. That's collusion. That's the difference. If Fuller intentionally throws a game for the sake of another team and not his own strategy, then he has now colluded with that other team. If you start a bad lineup against Jordan, you are doing it for no one but your own playoff life, right? That's that's much more different. And it's very interesting that we find ourselves in this kind of situation where you almost have to drop games to get into the playoffs. You know, we'll have to have a discussion this offseason about how people feel about that, whether that's good for the league or bad for the league or or whatever it may be. But that is where we find ourselves at this point. So I just want to make sure people understand the difference between colluding and strategy. If you have any questions, please ask. All right. And this we're not just saying this because RJ's on this podcast or RJ's a commissioner. You know, I would hope that people can see the situations are very, very different. There's also a very good chance RJ is playing for his life in weeks 13 and 14 depending on what happened with my team specifically, with Drew's team specifically, he might be playing to get a better divisional record than the both of us and get into the playoffs. We'll we'll have to see moving forward, but use your better judgment. If it feels like collusion, it probably is collusion. And remember, collusion is something that involves two parties, right? It's a two-party deal. Collusion is not a one-person I mean, you can make really bonehead moves as a one-person deal where it might look like collusion, but overall, it takes two people to collude. When it comes to the playoffs, is there anything in particular you want to talk about when looking at the SEC West or the Mountain West West, any races that you find really interesting? I think we we probably exhausted the conversation a little bit. We know that that Matthew and and Michael are really going to be going at it hard this week, and they're also in a situation where they are rooting for you, Jordan, or Drew to drop some games in order to, to have a clear path there. But at the same time, Beicher's looking at a potential wild card given his his really good interdivisional record. So not a ton to really unpack there. Those games will be important. We all know that. And then the, the top three of our league, I think it's very possible with a lot of the games being interdivisional here at the end that... You know, I've, I've picked up a game on Drew now that if I went out the divisional record, Drew drops some divisional games, like he could potentially be looking at being eliminated by me. Same thing goes for you, Blake. So that's just a really interesting storyline to be looking at. Raj, Ethan have a little bit more work cut out for them, but I also think it's really impressive that Chris Risk has a five and six record and does have a potential shot at the playoffs, given the fact that he has the least amount of points scored in the league. That's super impressive. We talked about it a little bit last week that Justin Fields was the lifesaver for his squad. So overall, it, it, there's just a lot going on here. We'll have a lot more clarity next week. You, you can say that every single week of the season when it comes to looking at the playoffs, but super interesting. And as a reminder that even if you don't make the playoffs, that's not the end of the world. We still have 
the loser's bracket with the punishment, of course, going to the, the player that scores the least amount of points over those playoff weeks and the winner getting their buy-in back. So there is still something to play for if you don't make the playoffs. Sure, it's not as exciting, but it's enough to where you should be setting your lineups because you don't want to be doing a blazing challenge or shaving your legs or hanging out in a Waffle House for a good amount of time. So just keep that in mind as we go into these last few weeks of the season. So before we move on to this week's matchups, I want to highlight the most important games in our league moving forward. This week, we have two extremely important games. Three, really. We have Matthew Beischer versus Blake Fuller. That is a huge game for Beischer to improve his overall standing and his division standing to get some separation with Michael. You have Jordan versus Drew. If Drew drops this game against Jordan, A, his divisional record will be tied with myself, regardless of of what happens with me this week as I'm playing an interdivision game. And his overall record will put him in danger of being leapfrogged by either Beischer or Costa in the overall standings, meaning that both you and Drew's playoff life could be on the line. And then, of course, we have yourself against Raj with the winner of that game having the better division standing and the tiebreaker moving forward. So whoever ends up winning that game will, as it stands today, will likely get into the playoffs based on the fact that the top three teams in the SEC West are currently slotted to be three of the four top teams and have tiebreakers over both Michael and Matt with the exception of Jordan, who does not have a tiebreaker over Matt, but the best record in the SEC West. Week 13, there is probably the most important game moving forward, and that is Matthew Beischer against Michael Costa. Both right now are 6-5. and five. Obviously, the records might be a little bit different this upcoming week as Beischer plays against Fuller and and Michael plays a much easier matchup against Team E.T. Woods. But that game will be huge in not really divisional standings, but overall standings where one of these teams can very easily sneak in over an SEC West team. So that will be a very big game next week. And then in Week 14, obviously we'll have to reassess when we get here. But there are some pretty big games. Michael and Chris will be playing each other. That could be for divisional standings if both Beischer and Fuller are locked into the top four teams overall. Michael and Chris might be playing for that wild card spot. In addition, you mentioned that you will be playing against me. There's a chance that either that's a game that you have invested interest to lose or you are going to need to go balls to the wall to win because we are almost deadlocked in our division race right now me at three and three and you at two and three that could be for the final wild card spot on the whole season so we'll we'll have to see of course we'll reassess by the time we get to week 14 but just some games of note moving forward we'll go ahead jump into our week 11 recap and then our week 12 preview which will be very abbreviated compared to most weeks i think we'll probably end up spending the most time on the three games that i mentioned earlier but the week 11 recap we had afc richmond rj your team 
over Team Drew K7, Drew Kulas' team, 95.32 to 90.66. Team E.T. Woods, that's Ethan Woods, beat Blake Fuller and the Creek Haven Comeback Kids, 141.36 to 141.22. Somehow, I think this is more brutal than the losses that even Chris has suffered this year. Michael Costa and Waffle House Bankruptcy beat Team Landry and Team Breezeless, 147.72 to 92.74. The Chernobyl Janitors on cleanup duty again, that's Matthew Beischer against Risky Business Incorporated, 159.42 to 144.62. You got to feel bad for Chris. That's his highest output of the season and still found a way to get the loss in a very tight divisional race there. Then Robbins Birds, Jordan Robbins beat myself and Commissioner's Curse, 113.8 to 105.68. And of course, some strings attached to that one. As we had a water bet, I will now be getting dunked in a cup of water right before pick 101 of next year's draft. As unfortunate as that is, let's go ahead, end on that depressing note, and jump into week 12 matchups. All right, so checking in at our current standings, I am now 29 and 16 after last week, and Blake, you are 23 and 21. It wasn't the strongest week for either of us. We we kind of picked a couple matchups the wrong way there, but luckily Raj not setting his lineup did go in favor of our caveats there, so we picked up that win because of Kyler's being out and no tight end being slotted into his tight end spot. So thanks, Raj. Not exactly what we're hoping for, but we'll take it. Now, I'm going to kick things off by looking at a really important matchup that we talked about. We've got you, Commissioner's Curse, against Chris Risk, the Risky Business Incorporated, this week. Now, looking at the lineups, we've got Jalen Hurts versus Justin Herbert, Austin Eckler and Damian Pierce against James Conner, and Jamal Williams, fresh off his three-touchdown performance last week. We've got the newly acquired C.D. Lamb and A.J. Brown against Keenan Allen and Drake London. Tyler Higby against George Kittle. Michael Pittman Jr. in the flex against Brandon Cooks. Aaron Rodgers against Justin Fields at the Superflex. And then the Cincinnati Bengals defense against the Patriots defense. There, we've got the Bengals against Tennessee and the Patriots against Minnesota. So, like Blake mentioned, we're going to go a little bit more abbreviated this week because we know we've taken a lot of time elsewhere. But just right off the bat, looking rosters top down, I, I, I'm leaning to pick you, Blake, here because you got the drastic advantage of Eckler over Connor. Pierce against Jamal Williams may not look like a drastic advantage after that three-touchdown game, but Jamal Williams is playing Buffalo, which we have learned very quickly this season that running backs against Buffalo is not good. At the receivers, I mean, CD, you got to give CD the edge over Keenan. You got to give A.J. Brown the edge over Drake London. He probably gets the edge with George Kittle. George Kittle had a huge game this week. But he is more up and down. He plays New Orleans, whose defense is okay. And Higby is playing against Kansas City, which, again, we know at this point in the season translates to you're going to have to throw a lot. So that bodes well for Higby. I'll take Pittman against Pittsburgh over Cooks because Pittsburgh's defense is just not that great. So that's a good matchup there. Obviously, we give the edge to Justin Fields after his recent weeks, but he's got an AC sprain in his shoulder, it looks like. So he may not even play this week. They may rest him, which would be just back breaking for Chris all of that in mind we're gonna go ahead and even call Herbert and Hertz a push at this point because Hertz has been good in recent weeks but not great 
But overall, I don't think I'm seeing any changes that would be made to the starting lineup on either side here. Like you do have options, but I think you're rolling out your best squad. I don't think you're putting in Lazard, Sutton, White, Sanders, or Foreman over Pittman. I, I like Pittman's matchup a lot this week. I am picking you here, unfortunately, for, for Chris. And hopefully Justin Fields plays and we get a more electric matchup. But if he if he's out, I think this one might be lopsided. Yeah, I'm really worried about if Justin Fields does play, as well as Jamal Williams. I know he's playing against Buffalo, and Buffalo's looked at as this really, really, really strong defense. Running backs have actually found a good amount of success against Buffalo. I mean, you you look at Dalvin Cook just the other week, exploded for about 30 points. Jamal Williams has the ability to explode for three, even four touchdowns in a given week. Mostly, though, what puts me at ease is I finally have my receivers spots figured out. I can't tell you how much better I feel hearing CD Lamb, AJ Brown, and Michael Pittman. I like hearing those three receivers' names as opposed to AJ Brown, Michael Pittman, and Cortland Sutton. Of course, either Pittman or Sutton is going to drop a dud any given week, and the upside associated with CD Lamb is much better. I'm going to go ahead and take myself in this matchup as well. I'm not as confident as the spread would seem to indicate on Sleeper. Hopefully that number is accurate and it will end up delivering me with the result that I'm hoping for. The next matchup is AFC Richmond. RJ, your team against Team Breezeless, Raj Landry. This is our biggest matchup of the week in terms of standings and the effect on the playoff race. So going through the matchup very quickly, it's Kirk Cousins against Kyler Murray. Your team, of course, with Kirk, the newly acquired Vikings quarterback, and Kyler for Raj's team. Your running backs are Jonathan Taylor and Aaron Jones against his Najee Harris and Josh Jacobs. Your wide receivers are Gabe Davis and Mike Evans against his Terry McLaurin and Deontay Johnson. The tight end matchup is currently TJ Hawkinson against Foster Moreau. If Foster Moreau gets plugged into Raj's lineup, the flex positions are Josh Palmer and Russell Wilson at the Superflex against Nick Chubb and Dak Prescott at the Superflex for Raj. And the defensive matchup is currently the Eagles, who are playing against Green Bay this week, against, I would assume, the Buccaneers, who are playing against Cleveland and not the Rams playing against Kansas City. Looking at this matchup, I like that your roster is actually set. I think advantage you on that one. Getting Mike Evans back is huge, and Josh Palmer in your lineup with Mike Williams being out, I think is a plus, even though results have indicated otherwise this year. But Keenan Allen is still in the game, so that should draw some coverage away, and Josh Palmer should get way more involved. Russell Wilson finally has a great matchup against Carolina. We'll see if he can capitalize. I think this game's going to be super close. I think both of you guys will be swinging out all week, of course, with major playoff implications. And, of course, assuming Raj checks his lineup. I'm going to take you to win the game. I think there is a 50-50 shot that Raj has a full team come Sunday. And uh, even if he does, I think that you are just able to squeak out a win thanks to your receiver upside against his lack of receiver upside with Deontay Johnson, who's still yet to score a touchdown. And Terry McLaurin, who had a poor game against Houston. I mean, he has a favorable game against Atlanta this week, but that's what we thought last week, and he didn't even deliver double digits. 
Yeah, I get a little nervous looking at Raj's side. He's got a couple of really, really good matchups. Like, I feel like Josh Jacobs could be a game breaker. I feel like Terry McLaurin could be a game breaker. He put, Jacobs plays Seattle, respectively, and, and McLaurin plays Atlanta. And then Dak against New York. I mean, Dak was electric last week, and I think New York is very beatable. It's a divisional game. That could be a great matchup, too. Some of the areas I get paused, though, is Najee against Indy. Indy's run defense has been really good. I kind of counter that by having Aaron Jones against Philadelphia, whose run defense is not great, but it's improved in recent weeks, and they just signed a Dominic and Sue to try to shore up that hole a little bit. But we we both know that Jones can be involved as a pass catcher. And then Ch- Nick Chubb gets Tampa Bay, and Tampa Bay used to be stout when it came to the run defense. They, they had some injuries and stuff happen. So hopefully, in my opinion, hopefully they shut down Chubb. But overall, I, I'm going to try to manifest this W. I need it. I'm really hoping that with Kyler Murray's bye coming up next week that the Cardinals decide to take it easy on him and rest him this week. That would be huge for my chances. And I'm, like I said, going to manifest this W. I'm going to go ahead and take me in this matchup. So that one is locked in. We seem to be walking together as we go through these matchups here. So that's fun. But uh, let's go ahead and move on to the next matchup. We're going to have the... Chernomal Janitors against Creek Haven Comeback Kids. So I will go through the rosters, start with Matt's team, and then jump over to Fuller's. At quarterback, we've got Tua Tugavailoa against Patrick Mahomes. At running back, we've got Saquon Barkley and Ramondre Stevenson against Derrick Henry and Kenneth Walker. That's a great matchup there at the running back spot. When it comes to receivers, we've got T. Higgins and Christian Kirk against Debo Samuel and Amon Ross St. Brown. At tight end, we've got Travis Kelsey against Dalton Schultz. At the flex position, we've got Jeff Wilson Jr. against Jalen Waddell. And then at the super flex spot, we've got Jimmy Garoppolo against DeAndre Hopkins, which is just an embarrassment of riches there for for Fuller that he's got so many good receivers that he has to start one. It's not even like a lack of super flex. It's just like, how do you bench one of these guys? And then at defense, we've got Baltimore against Jacksonville and Dallas against the Giants. Now on the benches, we do have some players that could get plugged in. Christian Watson's on fire. He could be worth considering a start. I don't really think anyone else on Matt's side you're really looking to put in. But Fuller, we do have the obvious example of Trevor Lawrence. He's benching Trevor Lawrence right now for a receiver. So that is a possibility there. I don't think I see anything else happening. But this matchup, I think this is going to be such a close game. Really, like, the running back square off there is awesome. I mean, Saquon against Dallas... Dallas is run. You can run on Dallas. So unless that game gets out of hand, like it did for Minnesota, I think Saquon's going to have a really good game. Derrick Henry against Cincinnati, like Derrick's going to go crazy. Kenneth Walker's going to go crazy. Mahomes is back to being the number one quarterback, but Tua has been really great. I think the receiver spot does definitely tip in Fuller's favor. Favor. I'd rather have Debo over Higgins just with his just drastic upside, and he he really has shown to have a decent floor. Amon Ra over Kirk. Kelsey is the huge edge over on Matt's side. I mean, Kelsey is a monster. I think he's technically the wide receiver too right now if the season ended today (laughs) over Schultz. But again, you got Waddle against Jeff Wilson, his teammate there. I I do think I like Jeff Wilson a little bit more in this matchup because I think they're going to have to run the ball there because the game's going to get out of hand. Great matchup for Jeff there. D-Hop has been producing like he's a quarterback, so like I don't fault Fuller for that one. And then I do prefer 
the Dallas defense against the Baltimore defense here. So this one is incredibly, incredibly close. I I don't know. It could go both ways. I think I'm leaning Fuller here. The man's 9-2, and two, so picking him has been favorable in the past. And the Kelsey edge makes me tempted, but and, and Matt's been on fire in recent weeks. But I, I do think I'm leaning Fuller here, so I'm going to go with Fuller. I don't know about you, Blake. Yeah, I largely think that when Fuller's roster is healthy, he is absolutely 100% unbeatable unless he's playing against Travis Kelsey and Jeff Wilson against the worst rushing defense in recent memory. So go ahead and give me Beischer in this one. It's a back-against-the-wall, must-win kind of game for Beischer. I think he ekes out a win. I think it would make the playoff race much more interesting if he did so. So go ahead and give me Matt in maybe the best game of the year. Going to the next matchup, huge for our division, RJ. We have Jordan Robbins and Robbins Birds versus Team Drew K7. I know you have a heavily vested rooting interest for Drew in this game. However, let's see if it's going to play out in his favor. So I'll go through Jordan's players first, Drew's players second. At quarterback, we have Joe Burrow against Lamar Jackson. The running backs for Jordan are Alvin Kamara and the newly acquired Joe Mixon against Alvin Cook and Antonio Gibson. Jordan's starting George Pickens and Justin Jefferson, currently at the wide receiver spot, against Tyreek Hill and Tyler Lockett. Tight ends are Taysom Hill, who's rumored to be getting more quarterback snaps, and Mark Andrews for Drew. The flex positions are Lenny Fournette and Danny Dimes against Chris Godwin and Geno Smith for Drew. And the defenses are the Chiefs against the Rams for Jordan and the Bills against Detroit for Drew. Ben Chopsons for Jordan. Smajay Pirine to back up the newly acquired Joe Mixon. Devin Singletary, Isaiah Pacheco, Adam Thielen, and Donovan Peoples-Jones. All available this week, ready to plug into the lineup if needed. For Drew, Alexander Madison as the handcuff to Dalvin Cook. Michael Carter, Allen Robinson, DJ Moore, and Darius Slayton. This matchup is going to be very close, I think. I think Jordan has the significant edge at running back with Kamara and Mixon versus Cook and Gibson. I think Drew has the significant advantage at receiver with Tyreek Hill and Tyler Lockett against Justin Jefferson and George Pickens. When I say significant, of course, I'm only referring to Lockett versus Pickens there. I think Justin Jefferson versus Tyreek Hill is a push in my book. He also has a significant advantage at tight end with Mark Andrews against Taysom Hill. Let's see how involved Taysom gets at the quarterback spot. But those two advantages are enough for me to pick Drew to win this game. And I think there's a good chance that the SEC West is all tied up again after this week. All right there, sitting sitting at, uh, what would that be? Sitting at eight and four for for Watson, Drew, and Robbins, which man, that would be a crazy ending. So that that's almost what I'm hoping for. But in in all reality, I I do think that Drew will come away with the win. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna also take Drew here, not just because I want it to happen, but because it just looks that way. You mentioned the running back edge that Jordan has, but the matchups he, his guys have are, are really tough. San Francisco, we know, is a great defense. 
Joe Mixon, if he even plays, gets Tennessee, who has also been really, really good against the run. So even though you might look at that and say, wow, you know, those guys, that's, you know, a win there. I think I'd rather have Cook and Gibson this week. Gibson getting Atlanta, who is not a great defense. And if that game is high scoring, obviously Gibson gets involved in the passing game. So he's been a really good RB2 at this point in the season. And then you mentioned the huge edge that comes at that wide receiver two spot. That's massive when you get Lockett over Pickens, even though Pickens has been good, like we, we mentioned earlier. And then the last thing I really want to talk about here is that I'm super concerned about Leonard Fournette. And Jordan had approached me about a potential trade involving Fournette. I wasn't interested. It's it just he they gave indications before he got hurt that he was going to start seeding snaps to a shot white. And that was a huge red flag for me. You factor in the hip pointer on top of that and the fact that Fortnite's just been kind of average outside of a couple of big games this year. You never really know what you're going to get out of him. So there's a good chance that that backfield comes to be a split here. And we just don't know that. So I'd rather have Godwin in that instance. So go ahead and give me Drew as well. And then we are going to move on to our final matchup of the week. We have Team E.T. Woods against the Waffle House Bankruptcy. I'll start with Ethan's team and then jump to Michael's. So at the quarterback spots, we have Jacoby Brissett against Josh Allen. At running back, we've got Christian McCaffrey and the new lead back, David Montgomery, there against Travis E.T.N. and the electric Tony Pollard. At receiver, we've got Jacoby Myers and Amari Cooper against Stephon Diggs and Devontae Adams. At tight end, we've got Greg Dolchich against Cole Komet. At the flex, we've got Brandon Ayuk against Chris Olave, and then the superflex Kenyon Drake against Marcus Mariota, with the defense being New Orleans against San Francisco there, and Denver against Carolina. Now, there are some options on the bench here. Obviously, right now, you heard me say Kenyon Drake as the superflex. Ethan does have Tom Brady and Matthew Stafford. He can plug in there. He's also got DK Metcalf on his bench. It looks like David Njoku could come back. So, lots of edits that Ethan could make to his lineup that I think would be make him a lot stronger there. Now, Michael has Derek Carr. He's got Cordero Patterson, Zeke Elliott, Juju Smith-Schuster. So he has some, some interesting options as his own. And he also has Hollywood Brown, who looks to be approaching coming back from injury. So that could be a huge lift for Michael's lineup. But as things stand now, I am going to go ahead and take Costa here. Allen clearly gets the edge over anybody else he plays. And the running backs, even though Ethan has McCaffrey and Montgomery looked good last week, I mean, this is more of a push than we think. ETN has been great since he took over his league back. Pollard, even with Zeke getting 15 touches, had a monster game last week. He's clearly getting designed swing routes here and is probably the fastest running back in pads. So that is way closer. But when it comes to the receivers, it ain't close at all. Even if Metcalf comes back in that lineup, Diggs and Adams is going to trump any one-two pairing in this league at this point in the season. And then Chris Olave, I really do like him. I don't know if I like him over Ayuk. That one's close. But as of right now, Mariota over Kenyon Drake, it's not close at all. So give me Michael in this one. I think uh, unless Ethan makes some drastic roster additions, this one's looking a little sloped. Yeah, Ethan's been on an absolute tear lately. But this one seems like a no-brainer. I'm not going to overthink it. Michael is definitely fine for his playoff life. I think... um, I think he runs away with this one. I, I think it's a pretty wide gap. I think Michael increases his points for, which could be huge for him going forward, depending on what happens with Beisher next week. So give me Costa. And with that, that'll take care of our Week 12 matchups and playoff discussions.
For those of you out there who are listening before Thanksgiving, have a very happy Thanksgiving. For those of you who are listening after Thanksgiving, Merry Christmas. That's right. It's officially Christmas season. So all you psychopaths who start celebrating Christmas November 1st, guess what? You're now justified. Enjoy it. Good luck with your matchups this week and good luck in the playoffs.